After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called a twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but they caught nothing that night. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they said, no. And he said to them, cast the nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, which with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. I love you. I didn't say it. I wanted to. We wanted to. It's, it's wrong that these moments pass you by with, with no warning. There, there should be a feeling at the time, some kind of sign, something that stops you, that makes you realize that you'll never get the chance again. You know, it's, it's one thing to end the day with a fight, uh, hurtful words, the revelation of some failure that creates this distance between you and someone else and then having to do you know the hard work over the coming days of trying to to repair that distance between the two of you it's another thing entirely to end a day or end a conversation with someone in those same awful ways but then lose any chance for repair entirely and just think about it uh, how, how many times, especially when we, we were younger, how many times did you need to 
hear about or experience firsthand the, the, the painful reality of loss, the painful reality that we are not, in fact, immortal until age 25, in order, before you realize that the promise of a second chance to make right whatever it is that, that's wrong between you and someone else isn't always going to be available to you. I know for me, it's, it's the reason I know I've said numerous times to my kids over the years when they were in conflict with one another or, or us, I remember just saying, okay, right, yes, I, I get it, okay, uh, I'm sorry, I, I, know that, I know that you're hurt, I know that you're so mad with them right now, but can I just ask you, can I just ask you something, if you knew that this was the last time you were ever going to see them again, if, if you knew that they, like, somehow you were found out ahead of time that you, they weren't going to make it home from school tomorrow. They weren't going to make it home from work or, or whatever. And this was the last time you would see them. Would you still be all right leaving things like this between you as they are right now? And, and, and I know that that's something that is so, so hard in, in the moment when emotions are so high to remember, and yet that, that's, that's the thing that's so important to remember, right? In, in light of how profoundly frail and fragile we come to learn that life truly is, along with the, the absence of a promise of tomorrow for anyone, how important is it that we remember that reality in that moment before the door closes, before the car drives away? before the car, the, the phone hangs up. And I know, okay, I, yeah, I get it. That might feel like, pff, wow, that's a pretty heavy way to begin an Easter Sunday message. I can imagine people sitting in their homes right now like, yeah, I know it's COVID, but is he okay? Uh, <laughs> remains to be seen, I guess. But bear, bear with me because I, I mention all that and I bring that up because I think feeling the, the weight of that, feeling the reality of that, is actually incredibly relevant to helping us understand the full significance of this breakfast meeting between the resurrected Jesus that he has with his disciples that we just read about, and for Peter in particular. If you don't know the story of Peter, if you never read that before, if I could just give you a quick, like, previously on WandaVision update here, uh, Peter has actually just experienced this exact experience of conflict and, and failure, but then losing any opportunity following that to, to, to make things right again himself. He's just experienced that exact thing. For Here's the thing, like the, the night before Jesus dies, the night before he's crucified and laid in the tomb, Jesus has gathered all of his 12 disciples and followers around him to celebrate one last Passover meal in an upper room. And over the course of that meal, Jesus reveals some, some really troubling things difficult news to them. First of all, he reveals that one of him, one of his chosen 12 disciples is going to betray him, betray him into the hands of the religious rulers that are wanting to put him to death. And he also reveals all of them are going to fall away. They'll all abandon him. And, and of course, everyone is, is upset by this news. Everyone's deeply troubled to, to hear this. But, but Peter, and, and if you and if you read more about Peter, you'll see this is just classic Peter. Peter like stands up just shouting over everyone, wait a minute, what, what, what? No, no, Jesus, absolutely not. I, no, there's no way. I, I, I don't know about all these other guys, but, but even if all these others fall away, I never will. To which Jesus replies that Peter, he says, actually before morning, you're going to deny me three times. To which Peter replies, again, classic Peter, nope. 
Sorry, sorry, you're wrong, Jesus. No, no, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And yet, exactly as he'd said within hours, Jesus is arrested, all the disciples are scattered, and waiting outside, warming himself by a charcoal fire, not once, but three times, Peter denies even knowing who Jesus is. But then, again, just in that same heartbreaking way that we were just talking about, although Peter is just gutted by this failure, he's just overwhelmed with grief and sadness for what he's done, by 3 p.m. the next afternoon, Jesus is dead. Jesus is, is gone, making any hope for repair or restoration now impossible. So you see, I think we need to understand that, that this this is the incredible weight that, that Peter has been carrying around now since that night, as well as the cloud overshadowing all of Peter's meetings with Jesus since his resurrection. We need to understand and feel the weight of that in order to have the fullest understand possible, fullest understanding possible of what's going on here in this passage we're looking at today. Like just all the emotional baggage that Peter is carrying into this incredible third encounter that Peter has with the risen Jesus on the beach. And you need to understand that. We need to feel the weight of that because when you do, when you do see it and when you see the results of this encounter that Peter has with Jesus, what I'm praying you'll see is that actually, along with the hope of forgiveness, the hope of a transformed life, along with the, the revelation that Jesus actually is who he said he was, all these things of what Easter is all about, along with those things, one of the great hopes of Easter that I'm praying you'll see today is that is still true for us, is that Easter is also about the opportunity created for second chances. Resurrection of Jesus is all about the opportunity that it created for second chances. And, and, and in order to just show you what I mean by that, help you see that in this passage that we're looking at, all I want to do is just look at it for a few minutes, just talk about it together, and show you, first of all, the way Jesus sets the table for a second chance with Peter, and then finally just look at Jesus' offer of a second chance to us. Just those things. We're going to look at how Jesus sets the table for a second chance with Peter and Jesus' offer of a second chance for us. So if you have a Bible there with you and you want to follow along, uh, we're looking at John's gospel, uh, the last chapter uh, of that book, John chapter 21. But, but if, if you don't, if you just want to listen in and, and follow along in that way, that's great too. We're going to dig into this together. Hoping you'll see all these things I'm just mentioned we're going to talk about. So let's do this. Let, let's look first of all at setting the table for a second chance setting the table for a second chance and, and actually you see this kind of thing this setting of the table uh, all the time today actually like whenever for example a couple is celebrating some special anniversary uh, maybe a family is planning for a reunion and, and everything from the music playing to the the menu uh, that everyone is going to be enjoying has these important memories or significance attached to it Right? So maybe the, a husband will try to cram himself into the suit that he got married in 25 years ago. Maybe a girlfriend will prepare a special Spotify playlist of songs that, that they both loved when they first met. Um, at the tables or on the walls at a family reunion, you might have framed pictures of family members or special memories. So all, all these things, that, that this nostalgia that is attached to those things. And the same thing here. 
When you read the events uh, that, that leading up to and included in this breakfast that Jesus has with Peter and his disciples on the beach, Peter and the disciples on the beach, uh, they too, all these different pieces have nostalgia of, of Peter and Jesus' history plastered all over them. Consider, uh, uh, first of all, this miraculous catch of fish that we talked about there, where, where Peter and the other disciples, they bring in this miraculous catch of fish after Jesus advises them to cast their nets on the other side of the boat after having caught nothing all night. If you go to Luke's gospel and look in Luke chapter 5, you'll see this. This is where uh, Peter first meets Jesus. Jesus first calls Peter to be one of his disciples. The circumstances are almost identical. Literally, like they haven't caught anything. Jesus, throw your nets on the other side. They bring in a huge catch of, it's almost exactly the same. So again, so you're seeing there's already this significance attached between these, these two meetings that, that Jesus has arranged. I think interesting to note, however, that one of the only differences that you do see between these two catches of fish, fish is that when, when Peter first gets a glimpse of who Jesus truly is in Luke chapter 5, he wants to run away from Jesus. He says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Whereas now, even with the, the weight of Peter's failure looming large over him, now he's desperate to be near Jesus. He's jumping out of the boat to try to get in as, as fast as he can to be near him. I think that's an important significance. But okay, so these are relatively pleasant memories, though. And, and moving forward, the memories and the nostalgia begins to take on a, well, a sharper edge and a darker tone for, first of all, the charcoal fire over which Jesus chooses to cook breakfast on the beach bears an awful striking resemblance to the charcoal fire over which Peter had carried out his three denials of Jesus. That's that charcoal fire he was warming himself around. Awful significance and nostalgia there. And then finally, even if, maybe even if the charcoal fire was just an unfortunate coincidence, Jesus' three questions, Simon, do you truly love me more than these? Simon, do you love me? Do you love me? I think they leave no room for a doubt whatsoever that these are intended to have direct, they're intended to refer directly to Peter's three denials. Which, I don't know, I don't know how you read that or how that comes across to you when you hear that. I don't know, every time I've read that, I always, it always seems a little bit harsh to me that Jesus would do that. It seems like a little bit almost vindictive that Jesus would bring up Peter's colossal failure so soon after he's just come back and everything's great, like, that he would bring that up. You almost feel like saying, okay, well, Jesus, if, if your purpose is to forgive and restore Peter, just, just to give him a second chance, why do you bother to, to rub his nose in his mistakes? Why not just let bygones be bygones and, and focus together on the future? Be like, hey, let's forget that. Let's move ahead. Why, why can't you just do that? And, and I, think, I think it's an important question. It's an important question and one that we probably ask ourselves with some degree of self-interest uh, as well when we think about some of our own past failures where we wonder if they, like Peter, have disqualified us from being followers of Jesus. We're like, oh, is that... Is this how it's going to be, that I'm going to have all my worst failures exposed? Like, so we ask it with a little bit of self-interest, I think, as well. And yet, I love this. As one commentator said so well, rather than just trying to twist the knife, he says this, quote, He, this is Jesus, is using a knife like a surgeon to get down at what is causing Peter's problem. He goes on to say this, it will be obvious to anyone who has read the Gospels and seen Jesus' character that this was no effort to humiliate. Jesus wanted Peter to see himself. 
to understand himself. Jesus is going back not just to Peter's behavior, but to the underlying flaw in Peter's heart that led to his failure. And interesting, actually, you, you see Jesus doing almost exactly the same thing, pointing out some of the deepest areas of shame and regret, and regret just uh, a number of chapters back in John chapter 4, near the beginning of the gospel, where, where Jesus sits down for a one-on-one conversation with, with a, a shunned, outcast woman beside a well. And, and there, over the course of their conversation, same thing again. You see Jesus pointing to her area of deepest shame and regret in her life. Uh, the reason that she's been shunned and cast out by her community. He says, call your husband, uh, knowing that she's had five previous husbands and the man she's living with right now is not her husband. He, he points right to it and presses right on it, and which, which means, well, it means one of two things, just considering even these two examples. When it comes to the idea of setting the table for second chances, it means either Jesus has the worst table manners possible or... Jesus actually has some beautiful, redemptive purpose behind his deep cuts. And I think the answer is actually the second option, particularly when you consider, just think about how relationships work. Uh, uh, Most of us know that that while everyone, we we all want to be accepted. We all want to be embraced by the person we love, and yet, I don't know what it is, but it's like there always remains this deep-seated fear and, and worry in each of us, especially early on, but certainly even well into the relationship also, there remains this fear that there are certain aspects of our personality, certain desires, certain experiences from the past that we need to keep hidden, that we need to keep closed off from others and hidden away because we think if if they were ever exposed, if we were ever seen as we truly are, we wouldn't be accepted or embraced. That's this fear that we seem to carry with us. But do you see now what's going on in in this passage we're looking at today? This is precisely why, in truly offering Peter a second chance, Jesus presses on Peter's greatest point of failure. Again, why? Not, Not to humiliate Peter, but because what Jesus needs Peter to know is that he's not inviting him back to be a follower of his on some kind of probationary basis. Right? Like Jesus is not saying to Peter, like, yeah, okay. All right, Peter. Tell you what, listen, yeah, you can be back on the team, but I'll tell you what, I hope, I hope you don't think you're going to be doing anything except warming the bench for the next couple of months, all right? Listen, you, you just, just sit there and be quiet. Try not to wreck anything else, and we'll see how this goes. Like, no, no, right? That, that's not at all what's happening. What Jesus wants Peter to know is that Peter, he's, he's saying, Peter, I see your deepest, darkest failure. I see your place of deepest shame and regret. I see all of you as you truly are, and yet I still embrace and accept you fully. That's the reason. That's the purpose behind why he's doing this. I mean, if you just look at the conversation between Peter and Jesus, although, yes, it's painful. Peter says it, it, he's grieved at, at these cuts that Jesus is making. What you see is that at each cut of remembrance, do you love me? What you also see is Jesus applying the healing balm of acceptance and recommissioning. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, follow me. And I think Jesus does that for two reasons. First of all, he does that because he wants Peter to know that he is free of any judgment or condemnation anymore of of Peter's failures in the past. But I think he also does it because he wants Peter himself to be free from that past. 
He wants him to be free so that he can get on with what the, Jesus is going to recommission him to do now without ha, with, with being free from the shackles of guilt and regret, always having to look over his shoulder at these failures in the past. Jesus is like, no, I, I want you to know I'm free of that and I want you to be free of that so you can get on with what it is that I'm calling you to do. Okay, so, so that's Jesus setting the table in order to offer a second chance to Peter. And I think actually it's a table that Jesus, it seems like he's been setting from the moment that he rises from the dead. For if you remember that passage that we read uh, as this service opened, when, when the women come to Jesus that first Easter morning to come to his tomb to anoint his body and find the tomb empty, what does the angel say to them? He says, go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. He emphasizes Peter specifically because he wants him to know, hey, I know you feel like you're, you've, you've gone too far, you're shut up, but no, I want you to know and I want you to come and, and receive my acceptance and, and repair as well. But here's the thing. If, if the story of Jesus' resurrection from the dead is nothing more than a story of repair and restoration for Jesus' followers 2,000 years ago, then while like, okay, it's amazing, heartwarming and all those things, it, it's largely irrelevant to us. Just like, well, how nice. But, but if the story of Peter's offer of a second chance actually means more than just his reinstatement, and that that offer of a second chance is actually an offer that is available to every single one of us still to this day, well, then all of a sudden, Jesus' resurrection has all the relevance in the world. So, so let's just quickly look at this now, at Jesus' offer of a second chance for us, because I believe that, that is what it's showing us. There is an offer of a second chance that's much more than just telling us a story of Peter's reinstatement. And this is where understanding why it is that Jesus came to earth in the first place is so, so important. For again, if Jesus was just coming, uh, training up some followers, and then sending them out to carry on his teachings about how to live a godly life, how to, how, how to reach God, and, and just go out to the world and share my teachings like every other religious uh, teacher and founder all through history, my guess is there's not many of us, if any of us, that would still even really be talking about Jesus today, or certainly not taking a whole weekend to celebrate uh, his, his life and death and resurrection. But if Jesus' coming was about making second chances possible and then sending out his followers with that incredible offer to the ends of the earth, well, then it makes perfect sense why Jesus' resurrection, we're still talking about it and why it still matters so much today. Because you see, the truth is that, okay, yeah, yeah, Peter had failed Jesus personally in this very specific way, and then because Jesus rose again, he gets this previously impossible second chance to, to repair what had been broken between them on a personal level. And, and that's, you know, that, that's an incredible offer, uh, which uh, when we looked at those opening examples of not getting the chance because someone's died to, to repair that distance, that's an incredible opportunity that Peter got, which, which no one else has ever gotten. But, Something, here's what's so important, something that, that Peter and every other person throughout history share in common is the need for a second chance, that, like a, a different kind of second chance that we've all been in need of since the very beginning of time. Namely, a second chance for a broken, to, a second chance to repair a broken relationship with God. That's, that's another need for a second chance that we all share in common. 
For in the book of Genesis, we read uh, about man and, and woman in, in perfect relationship with God, and yet through their rebellion, they, they bring sin's curse on them and onto the world, and as a result, Adam and Eve, they are expelled from the Garden of Eden, expelled from God's presence. And although, yeah, God hadn't died, we're told there's this flaming sword that guarded the only entrance into the garden again to cut off the path, cut off the, the that guards the, the access now to God, to being in his presence and to being in relationship with him. So the chance is lost now. The, the chance is lost for, for repair, just like in some of those heartbreaking examples we looked at earlier. But before they left, God made a promise to them. God made a promise that one day he would send a rescuer, a, a, a hero, this seed of a woman who would come and open up the way back into God's presence. Essentially, he would make a second chance for a relationship with God possible. That was God's promise to them. And the message of the Bible is that in sending Jesus to live a life of perfect obedience before God and then give his life in exchange for ours, literally stand underneath the blows of that flaming sword himself for us, Jesus made that second chance for repaired relationship with God through faith in him possible. That's what he was accomplishing in his death. And then so what the resurrection means now is that God accepted Jesus' payment on our behalf and that his death really and truly did make that way back to God and into relationship with him open once again. And here's the most amazing thing, open now for all time. He took the blows of that judgment and made that access now, that opportunity for relationship, open for us for all time. He gave us a second chance. And so, I think the only question left then to consider on a day like today and in light of all that is just to simply ask this, have you taken Jesus up on his offer? Have you? Have you taken him up? on his offer. Uh, maybe like Peter, you feel too unworthy uh, of being uh, in, in a restored relationship with God. Maybe you didn't even know that that was something that was possible. But one of the other great benefits of having this record of Peter's uh, interaction with Jesus over breakfast, it, one of the great benefits of it is that it shows us that not only is a restored and repaired relationship with God possible, also no failure is Significant enough is big enough in order to make Jesus' offer of a second chance null and void. There's no failure too big that makes this offer not valid for you and for me. The thing is, yeah, it's true. It, 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 uh, it, it's like taking Jesus up on his offer could feel hard. It could feel difficult. It could grieve us just like it did for Peter because when, when Jesus comes to you and to me, he comes to us around our own personal charcoal fires and, and presses on our own individual places of shame and regret. So it can feel hard. It can grieve us. And yet, also just like Peter, rather than humiliation and condemnation, remember, Jesus' only purpose in doing that is to reveal to you and to me that he truly receives us, that he truly accepts us. He sees all those places of brokenness. He sees all those places of shame and regret. He sees it all the things all that we think make us unacceptable and he wants, to, he wants to come and meet you right there. He wants to meet you in that exact place that you think makes you unacceptable to him or to anyone. He meets you right there and shows you that you are fully accepted, fully embraced, no matter how you failed in the past, no matter how unacceptable and unworthy you may feel. 
author and speaker, Anne Voskamp, asked this question. She says, is there a grace that can bury the fear that your faith isn't big enough and that your faults are too many? Is there a grace that washes your dirty wounds and wounds the devil's lies? Is there a grace that embraces you before you prove anything? After you've done everything wrong. I think the answer in light of the message of Easter, in light of everything even we've been looking at in this story of Peter and Jesus today, is absolutely 100% yes. Yes, yes, that, that grace is possible and it's available to every single one of us. So if you're, if you're listening to this today and you've already taken Jesus up on his second chance, you, you've already received that grace today, yeah, it's all about the, the joyful celebration of what Jesus accomplished for you in his death and resurrection, the fact that you now have this restored relationship with God yourself. That's that's why Easter is such an amazing day. That's why it's such a big deal to the church. Um, it's, it's not about bunnies and, and chocolate, as awesome as those things are. It's about the fact that we now have this restored relationship possible for us, and we've, we've entered into it through faith in Jesus. But if you're listening to this today, and you know you've, you've never taken Jesus up on his offer, or maybe, again, you didn't even know that that offer was possible or, or being made, Well, my prayer for you today, if that's where you're at, is just that you would see that Easter, Easter is all about God's personal offer to you today of forgiveness, of acceptance and embrace and restored relationship with him, no matter how you failed in your life. He sees all the places that you try to hide away and keep from everyone else. He sees all of that and still offers you today this second chance, second chance for restored relationship with him. Again, it's by grace. There's nothing you have to to do in order to earn or be worthy of that offer. The work's already been done by Jesus. All all that's really required in the end is just simply that you would acknowledge your failures, acknowledge that you have failed, and then simply confess your love and your need for him. That's it. The message of the gospel is that when you do that in an instance, the distance between you and God, which once, once spanned an impossible divide, will be healed and repaired in an instant. And here's the incredible thing, even repaired now for all time, never to be closed off again. 